uh, over 40 years, that is now, joining the Buddhist Society of Western Australia in 1978 as a young man interested in meditation and spiritual practice. He went on to serve multiple terms as president, as well as serving in the several other capacities, including designing several buildings in both monastics and the lay community. If I recall, Dennis, you designed the Dhammasara new project, new buildings, at that time, and long time ago. First draft. First draft. And uh, Dennis's talk, uh, Dennis, uh, I have known Dennis personally for a long time. We went on the pilgrimage together in 2005, I remember. Uh, we all went together. And Dennis talks, and Dennis is the man for the crisis. And when there was, uh, uh, came, came out of retirement, if I recall, and then uh, uh, headed the Buddhist society when there was some um, little difficulties about five years, five, six years ago, if I may recall. So has been serving the Buddhist society for a long time, uh, not only as a young man, also as a man with gray hair. So he has been uh, giving his service for a very, very long time. So it's my privilege to actually host Dennis. Dennis' talk, talk will de uh, delve into explore reality, deep meditation, and the meaning of life. Dennis was recently awarded life membership for his services. So the topic of his uh, uh, talk will be stillness, equilibrium, and release. And at the end, please feel free to raise any questions, and uh, uh, Bill will come with the microphone. So without any more ado, I hand over to Dennis now. Thank you, Dennis. Oh, sorry, I missed one more. There was another little piece of, sorry, Dennis. And uh, Gita is at the back of the hall for any information uh, about the voice referendum. So she's sitting right at the back. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And Ananda, just before you go, would you mind just bringing me that? So I might just swap the microphone stand here. Just so it comes a bit closer. Just excuse me for a minute while I just readjust myself. Thank you very much, Ananda, for uh, such a wonderful introduction. Ananda himself is uh, a man that's been involved in this Buddhist society for many, many years as well. Ananda, his family, indeed he has a daughter who has joined the order of our nuns at Dharmasara as well, so it's uh, always a great joy to see him. Yeah, so... <coughs> Welcome along. Nice to see everybody here tonight. Yes, as Ananda's said, I intend tonight to, uh, uh, to give a talk really just with the three words that, that Ananda mentioned, stillness. I, I kind of always default to talking about stillness whenever I get the chance to give a talk here because I, I do just think it's so important. I, I think that, um, in fact, meditation... We, we do we do meditation really to understand stillness to to uh, to get to that point where we know where stillness is and to have that stillness flowing in in our mind all of the time. 
and I, I do want to talk about that when we get to that part of the night. Um, <clears throat> but in the meantime, I would like to uh, just guide the meditation. And for those that want to just uh, do their normal meditation, that's fine. But I, I will guide the meditation, especially a little bit towards the end, just so that I can maybe direct you a little bit towards what I mean by stillness just so that if anybody has any doubts about just what it is to have a still mind and to actually feel it as well. Uh, because after all, um, uh, these feelings that are in our body are really part of the four satipatthanas. The, uh, the first satipatthana is just to know feeling, feeling in the body. Uh, or, and, then, and then the second uh, satipatthana is feelings and, and knowing feelings inside the body. So knowing just what it feels like to feel inside your body and to feel the, uh, uh, the resonance and the vibrations that, that can sort of be there. The third satipatthana is mindfulness of mind. So this is really where we can actually feel by using our meditation, by kind of focusing in on ourselves and reflecting inside our bodies to feel just what this mind is. It's actually possible to, to know that and to have that there really as a, as a datum for all of your life, really. And then the fourth Satipatthana is looking at the phenomena of mind. So this is really just discriminating that, that um, feeling of conscious stillness or the stillness of consciousness um, and then just looking a little bit deeper at that, and at that and then being able to sort of notice the difference between a still consciousness and a flowing consciousness just the consciousness that is flowing to pick up the uh, all of the the um, the sankharas and the and the, the, the conditioning that we have inside that creates this world and our body. So as just as you can see by that, it's a very important part of um, Buddhism uh, and Buddhist practice to know what stillness is about. And I'd like to just sort of follow that through tonight uh, uh, when I get a chance to, to uh, uh, maybe say a few words about it in the talk. But in the meantime, I'd like you just all to uh, uh, Get yourself nice and comfortable, nice straight back. Just as Ajahn Brahma always says, I think that straight back is just so important when you can have that nice energy in your body, when you're feeling like your body, especially your back, is just so comfortable, nice and straight with that little curvy part at the back, just, just right. And, uh, and then you can sort of lift yourself up even a bit to, to just make sure that there is sort of spacings in between the vertebrae. As Ajahn Brahma always talks about the, um, the idea of a puppet or the st a string there that's just pulling you up, just to keep that back nice and, nice and straight and nice and energised. It's just having the right energy. Energy is always an important thing in meditation. So just the nice energy in your body. So closing your eyes head pointing to the top of the ceiling, closing your mouth and letting your tongue rest against the palate. And for the first part, I'd like to just do the second satipatthana or the second foundation of mindfulness just by feeling into the body, 
and you can just start there by feeling down into your toes. And you might even want to just feel right into your little toe, the littlest toe. You can use your socks or the floor if your feet are on the floor, just to get a bit of a hint that you're feeling there into the right place. And then just allowing your attention to run over the arch of your foot and into the heel. And then just moving your attention up through the ankles. You can just switch sides if you like, or just use one leg, but it's always just good to feel perhaps into the both of your legs. And then just moving up into the area of the shins. Just noticing, just to see whether or not you can feel that hard bony part at the front, the shin. And then just juxtapose that with the fleshy part of the calf muscle that's sort of floppy at the back. Can you feel that? Then moving up through the knees, just the way the knees are bent. And if there is any tension there, just allow that tension to relax. It's just always a wonder to notice the way that these, this body that we have works, the way everything does articulate way the muscles work. And then just moving up to feel inside your thighs, the big muscles of the thigh. And then moving into your bottom area, just where your bottom is sitting on the seat. Just feeling the pressure there. And then moving up through into your lower back. Just making, that is, making sure that is all, all relaxed and energised. And then just bringing your attention to the front of your tummy. Just feeling into the tummy and it's always a good place just to noticing a lot of often gurgling going on there or just little rushes, little movements of muscle that are pushing things along and doing things. And then moving up into the upper back and round your chest into the chest and around there where there's always a lot of rhythms going on, a lot of things happening in your chest. Just the wondrous nature of your heart, the way that it just keeps beating. 
functions that maybe you might be able to see or intuit there in your chest. Things opening and closing and blood moving along vessels. And feeling around into the back, around the shoulder blades. And then just feeling the way your arms are just hanging by your side. And then bending at the elbows, through into your forearms and your wrists, and into your hands and then your fingers. I always totally enjoy it when I get to this part just to feel the all the, the nerve endings and the tingling that's sometimes there in your fingers, just in your fingertips, when you're just lightly holding your hands together. It's like an effervescent fizz that's there. And as you keep looking at that, you'll notice that that's really there, maybe to a more subtle extent at the moment, but that effervescent fizzing feeling is there all over your body. Your whole body is just alive with feeling. It's a wonderful thing to know that too because when you can sense that, when you can sense that effervescent, alive feeling in your body, you know that your body is relaxing. You're starting to relax. And then moving the attention up through your neck. Just relaxing everything around there, into your head, around your eyes and your mouth, your lips. Always lots of little feeling there. Lovely feeling and around the top of your head. Always nice to check behind your eyes too, and if there are any tensions there, just just note the tension and allow it to relax. And then when you are ready, you can just then start to attend to your breath. Just noticing your breath as it flows in and as it flows out. Just making a friend of your breath.
And we're using our breath here to work with the samatha side of this Anapanasati meditation, this mindfulness of the breath. The samatha side is allowing everything to tranquilize, to concentrate, focus. Just allowing the breath to settle. So I'll just leave you for a few moments, just to, or a few minutes, just to work with that, just to allow your breath to be there. And if you do notice yourself moving away and thinking about something else, just cut through and bring your attention back to the breath very mindfully, very kindly. And just be aware that that point is a point of awareness. So just bring your attention back to the breath.
now that we've had a bit of an opportunity just to allow the breath to focus and concentrate, I trust you are able to, to notice that difference. It's there, now your mind will no doubt be so much more sensitive than what it was when we first started. So with that in mind, what I'd like you to do now is just to leave the breath for a moment and just watch into your mind. There's no need to think about anything that I'm talking about or saying. You can just let all that just wash over you. But just become aware of what's happening in your mind. Is it quiet? What's it like to know your mind when there's no thinking there? Can you relax a little more with that stillness of mind? There's nothing at all there, but yet your mind is quite content. You can know that there's no desires being chased. And the opposite of desire, there's no aversion there. The first two hindrances of mind. Your mind is discontent, still. What does that feel like? And you also notice that your mind is not restless. Or it's not wanting to drop off to sleep. So the energy there is quite balanced. That all goes well into the contentment you can know that the third and fourth hindrance of mind, the restlessness and the sloth and the torpor, are covered. Your mind is balanced.
that's contained. We're starting to move towards understanding this third foundation of mindfulness. stillness of consciousness. Consciousness that's not moving around, it's not going places, it's just content. And you can start to see that it's really quite lovely to sit in contentment. It brings a lot of joy and happiness into the mind. Just notice now how the mind is starting to be tranquil, tranquilizing it. What does that feel like? No thoughts. No movement of mind, just stillness. Can you feel what that stillness is like? And you can probably start to intuit that this tranquility of mind can go even deeper. As you make peace with yourself, and allow that stillness just to be there.
and probably the most wondrous realisation with this is that is that that stillness is there all of the time. Can you sense the feeling of it? The way it resounds? In a moment we'll end the meditation but in that part of the meditation when I'm ringing the bell or striking the bell which I'll do three times I'd like you just to reflect inside yourself and just really take notice of that stillness and then when you come to open your eyes and come back to the room I'd like you to bring that stillness with you as you start to see and listen properly just see if you can do that with that stillness there as well The still consciousness is really the matrix of your mind. The third Satipatthana. Third foundation of mindfulness. I'll now ring the bell and uh, after the third resonance you just gently open your eyes and come back to the room. I trust everybody uh, managed to see the stillness 
And I'm sorry if I was teaching you to suck eggs there or <laughs> something that you already sort of know about. But I know that um, in my experience, um, the idea of stillness really isn't so well known in, uh, in meditation circles. And really, I think this is really part of the reason why we do meditation, in fact, just to... to begin to understand just these sensations that are there inside our body because that, that uh, resonance of stillness that's there is really quite a primordial feeling. You know, we've had that feeling in our minds for, for goodness knows how many lifetimes, how many rebirths. And you probably notice too that it's actually quite a, uh, a familiar feeling because in fact it is there really all of the time. In fact it's, um, it's there whenever the mind does become quite sharply focused, even in, in, um, if you've got something that's happened to you like an accident, a car accident say. In fact I had a, a very good friend, he's not a Buddhist this friend but um, he had a, a terribly uh, bad accident, really, where he's, uh, another car came and crashed into him from the other, uh, coming from the other direction. And uh, he was just telling me, um, he wasn't really talking anything spiritual about this, but it was just remarkable the way that he kind of explained it to me because he just said that uh, as he knew, when he knew that this car was going to hit him and it was going to be a head-on crash, you know, and he thought that this is, um, you know, probably, you know, the idea of his own death probably flashed through his mind. But um, what actually happened is his mind, he said, slowed down and he started to see everything in such slow motion. And as the car was coming up, everything was sort of slow and the, the car hit the front of his car and then he said he could see that the the bonnet was rippling, you know, the bonnet was sort of concertinaing up and, and he said in the noise, the screeching and the tearing of the metal and everything was just so loud and, and then, you know, he was looking, holding his steering wheel and he was looking down and then he saw his engine do as it's supposed to do these days with the good designs of cars that we have. The engine sort of came through and went underneath him. He could sort of see that, so he was mindful of all of that. And he was sort of watching and then before he realised that he was sort of injured and sort of hurt in this. But he just said to me, he said, but the silence was just deafening. The silence was deafening. <laughs> and I thought, yes, you know, that's what happens. I mean, obviously his mind had been sort of focused to a point, just as we try to do in meditation all of the time. His mind was terribly focused and, and there, right at the point of that focus was this stillness. This, uh, this um, silence, as he called it. So it is something that's there for us all of the time and it's, it's a very familiar feeling, uh, that the stillness of mind. And um, I always like to think of it in terms of, uh, of consciousness and when I kind of... Uh, 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 think of it myself, I kind of think of it as still consciousness. 
So it's, the, it's being conscious of the stillness. And it's um, the more, it's a very interesting thing to study, a very interesting thing to investigate. You know, when the, you know, the Buddha uh, talked about these seven factors of enlightenment, and the first factor of enlightenment is, in fact, mindfulness. The first factor there, be, being mindful. Um, and just as I've indicated in the, in the opening, uh, the opening of this meditation, just to know about the four foundations of mindfulness, to know what, know what that is and know how to work with it. And uh, when you... Uh, so this mindfulness is the first factor of, of enlightenment, in fact. That's what's uh, in the Buddha's list of the seven factors of enlightenment. And then the next factor is investigation, investigating, using that mindfulness to investigate. And that's what we can do then. We can use that, that stillness of mind to really penetrate because you are, you, when you get to that stillness and the stillness is resounding there for you, it's actually really very, it makes you very sensitive, makes your mind very sensitive. You can start to intuit and to see things that you would never normally see because the mind is just too coarse. But when the mind gets to this part where the stillness is there, where the stillness uh, is just working for you, um, it's, it, you can use it in you can use it in such a wonderful way to um, uh, to gain insight, to start to really see just the nature of this world, and then you start to think about it in terms of the present moment. Because this stillness really is something that's coming from the present moment. It's coming from beyond space and time. It's not, it's not, um, it's not anything that's sort of made in your brain or, or, or uh, constructed in that way, constructed in this, in this world of space and time. It comes right from the present moment. And the present moment, we start to understand, is there with us all of the time which is really quite a weird thing to think about, isn't it? Just the idea that the, that the present moment is like a constant. It's a constant in nature. Because, you know, I know as Ajahn Brahm is always talking about here, you know, the past is dead and gone. There's nothing, nothing there for us in the past to really hang on to because there's no reality there in the past. And it's the same with the future. The future has really... Uh, it, it's, it's there as an expectation. We can think about it in that way, but it's not real. It's not real yet. It hasn't come. So there's no reality there. So when you start to think of it this way, this present moment, this place where this still consciousness is, is starting to get close to this present moment. We're starting to really uh, understand what this present moment is. It's a constant and if we can allow that present moment to be with us and maybe even cultivate it as a datum in our, in our bodies, in our minds, so that we've got it there all of the time. And I want to go on and just talk about this in, in daily life in, in a moment because it's, it is just so important to, uh, to know about this stillness because this is the way that you start to see the right way around. You start to see what the Buddha was talking about when he made the first uh, 
the first factor of his eightfold path of, of practice, right view, the right view. So, you know, is it the right view to look out into this world and say, oh, this world is what's real and, uh, and I'm just something that's sort of caught into this, this world that's out there? Well, we know that that's, as, as you know, the, the Buddhist teachings sort of tell us and even from our own meditation, we can now start to really investigate that to see if that's true. And you can see quite clearly that it isn't. That this stillness is there, this is the stillness that's inside us, it's anchoring us into this present moment, into this constant, this constant that's in nature. So we really do start to get to see how this present moment is really uh, what it is that what it is that's real. This is where reality is in the present moment. Reality isn't in the shifting, changing, impermanent world of the uh, that that is out there in the past and the future, or in the space and time. It's not in the relativity, if you like, not in the relativity that that is there uh, compared to the constant of the present moment. The present moment is where reality is. So it's really worthwhile to understand that and to understand the stillness so that you can use that stillness uh, to make yourself very sensitive to the whole thing. And then gradually, you know, as you start to work with all of this, it starts to be, there starts to become for you a little bit of a paradigm shift. You know, you start to sort of start seeing things around the right way. It's really this still consciousness that's inside of me that is the constant. This is what's sort of moving from life to life. You can start to see that um, being fearful of death is, is really, you know, well, it's, it really doesn't make much sense when you start to really investigate things in this way because this still consciousness of mind is there all of the time and it's, 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 it's there with you as you, as you change lives. It's, 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 it's there with you. Um, well, you know, I'd even like to sort of just, just go back to talk about the, uh, the, four, the Four Noble Truths because it's, it's there in the Second Noble Truth that where, where Dukkha is beginning. It's there in the third noble truth when dukkha is ending. And I say that because this resonance of the stillness, once you start to really investigate it, you can see that this still consciousness is really something that's beginning and ending very, very fast. There's a, a, what's actually happening in your mind is that it's iterating. But that iteration is coming right from the present moment. It's not, it's, it's not sort of made in space and time at all you gradually start to see that this still consciousness, this iteration, iteration of consciousness is actually what is building the world, what is making the world, what is forming the world, is forming our being. This is where, the, uh, where our karma goes to. It goes to this, uh, in, into this delusion that we're kind of caught into as we look out into this world. So, you know, the more that I talk like that, I, I, you, know, you can hopefully see that there is 
great benefit in sort of understanding the stillness, understanding it as, it's, uh, as it presents itself in the present moment. Because it's presenting to you a, a, a situation that is real, it's reality. I mean, I follow lots of things like this and I know that uh, there's a couple of people in the hall here too that follow these things along with me, but there's a, there's a, a physicist called Donald Hoffman uh, who I was told about by a good friend of mine, Drew Bellamy, who sent me a, um, some of his work. And this, uh, this chap, as a physicist, he works with uh, a lot of math... He's a mathematician, actually, but he works with a lot of Indian mathematicians. And yeah, I think he's probably fairly uh, tied up a little bit with probably Hinduism rather than Buddhism, but nonetheless he has that Eastern view that's in, his, um, that's in his work. But when you listen to him, and this is very, very current research, very current math mathematics, you know, he, he basically just says that space and time is just not where the action is. Reality is not in space and time. But that's what we can see in our meditation. So when we're looking, uh, looking into, this, into the present moment to, to, to notice this stillness, we start to see that. And this paradigm shift starts to happen where we're kind of uh, starting to see things the right way around. But it's not easy, is it? It's not, you know, because this, this world is so compelling, it's so beguiling, really. When you look out into it, it's hard to believe that it's not, uh, that, that it's empty even. And the Buddha has said, you know, in his three characteristics of all things, he talks about uh, the dukkha, part of it. And, then, you know, again, the dukkha is really very important thing that goes with is still consciousness as well, because I'll sort of come to in a minute. But that, uh, that the Buddha talks about everything, the three characteristics of everything being dukkha, and then impermanent, anicca, impermanence, and anatta, no self. So he's really uh, flagging that for, that for us there right at the very beginning, telling us to look out for this investigate this, see if that's true or not. And when you start to, uh, uh, to look into this world, look into the way that uh, the whole thing, um, you know, as, as we start to really investigate the reality of this world, you, you see that, it's, that it's, it's, just, it's a house of cards. There's no real... Uh, reality there because you're starting to now understand the present moment and the stillness of consciousness that's in there and then you start to realise that this iteration this, this still consciousness that's there, it's, it's iterating uh, uh, positive and negative energy you start to realise that these, this present moment is the place where, where the energy that builds everything here comes from. It's really right there in the present moment with the way that this consciousness begins and ends, the second and the third noble truth. 
that's beginning and ending right in the present moment, beginning and ending right there. And when something begins and ends like that, it, is, it is, has the hallmark, it is the hallmark of dukkha. So really we're going right back to this beginning of the consciousness itself and sort of noticing and seeing as we investigate into it, noticing to see that it is, this is really the, uh, the foundation of dukkha right here, right here in the present moment when we, when we kind of looking into the stillness and then, um, well, looking into the stillness is one thing, but then the next thing to investigate after that, really, is to, to look into things a little bit deeper again, because you see that this stillness, you can move on to the fourth Satipatthana, where we're looking at the phenomena of mind, the, the phenomena that is built in our mind. And we know from the laws of dependent origination that the Buddha set out that the uh, the um, third uh, factor in there is that flowing consciousness, that consciousness flows. So if you go back into that list of dependent origination there, the first thing is ignorance. We get sort of caught in ignorance and we're sort of back at the start of the round of dependent origination. And then there's sankharas there. We've got the karma and the sankharas that are being built, again in the present moment. These sankharas are already formed there before we even start, if you kind of look into your mind and you can, you kind of notice that this, you know, Dennis is already there. He's been, has been formed there for, you know, for, well, all my life, really. But it's, but it's the Sankaras that are, that are there and the, the, the still consciousness that's providing the energy for it all, the still consciousness of the present moment is providing the energy and, and I'm kind of fooled into thinking that this energy is flowing over the Sankaras and here is, you know, and then in my mind here is Dennis. It's already, he's already, um, he's there every moment. You can start to see that. You can, as you investigate deeper into that, you can start to see the way that these things uh, come about, the way that the Buddha did this, the way that the Buddha made these lists these lists of dependent origination, you know, starting with the, with the ignorance that we have before we get there, then moving to the sankharas, the karmic sankharas, and then the flow of consciousness, and the flow of consciousness moving on to build a mind and a body, and then the mind and the body moving on to build the, uh, the five senses that we've got, and then the five senses moving on to provide a, a contact, and then a feeling, and then there's a clinging, or a craving first, and then a clinging, and then a becoming, and then a, uh, a, a becoming into old age, sickness and death, and then moving on from there into uh, a rebirth, another rebirth. And really, you can start to see that process happening every moment, you know, with each breath, really. Each breath that begins and ends. Again, the second and third noble truth. It's just right there. It's right there in all of the, the systems in our body. It's right there for us to see all the way through our lives, these beginnings and endings, whether it's the beginning and ending of a day, the beginning and ending of a, um, a week or a month or a year, or the beginning and ending of a lifetime. It's all, it's all just right there.
in our mind for us to see and investigate. But you can only really do that when you've got that stillness really sharp there because that stillness is really what's providing the sensitivity, the insight that we, we get when we start to look at this idea of, of right view, the right view of, of the, um, uh, the way things are according to what the Buddha said. Right view and then the right intention comes next. And then of course the rest of the Eightfold Path. So, <clears throat> when you can start to work with that, when you can start to, to bring that, that, that stillness, if you've got it there and, you, and you can, even now as you're listening to me, if, you can, if you've got that there, if you've got the stillness there, you'll know that, that this talk and these words that are coming out of my mouth are really coming just out of the stillness because we've all got this opportunity to uh, to know this for ourselves haven't we I mean because it's when I'm looking out here now into this hall it's this is my world my universe this is Dennis's I'm you know I've all you are in all of you people are in my mind I'm, I'm and I'm working with my universe. But when you look back, when you look back at me, this is, you're working with your universe. You have your own universe to work with. The same as the Buddha had his own universe to work with as well. Happily, he um, became enlightened very early in his life and he had 40 or 50 years to, to set out his teachings in a very systematic and thorough way for us, which has been just a joy, been the joy of my life, actually, to be able to... Uh, practice what the Buddha was, uh, was, was teaching us because it's, it just brings you to, um, it, it brings you right to this reality, the reality of the present moment, the reality of, this, of, the, uh, of the three characteristics of all things. The character, you know, the, the, uh, you know just the, the, the truth of dukkha, because when you think of it, I mean, just even for the Buddha to make dukkha the first, the first noble truth. What's the first noble truth of Buddhism? It's dukkha. Oh yeah, dukkha. You know, and, and well, what's dukkha? Well, it's suffering or it's unsatisfactoriness, not 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 at ease, not peaceful. Well, you know, you can easily dismiss that, can't you? You can always. Oh well, you know, I'm. I don't suffer all the time. I'm kind of. I'm quite happy with my life. I have quite a good life. You know, you can sort of look at it that way. So it's, it's a quite a. It's a. It's a very kind of almost arcane, really, the way that the Buddha kind of set that out. But this is the first noble truth: the idea that this dukkha, this unsatisfactoriness, that we're caught into, that we never really quite see past. Really, we can live lifetime after lifetime after lifetime and just still be caught into, you know, dukkha. Who wants to know about dukkha? But then when you start to see it in, in your mind, you see the stillness of mind and you see the iteration happening there, you see the still consciousness beginning and then it ends and then it begins and it ends and, it be, and it's going round and round and round. The Buddha said countless times in the wink of an eye, I mean, this is how, how wonderful really this 
man's mind was two, two and a half thousand years ago too. It's just astonishing to, to appreciate really because he, he saw that, he saw, the, he saw the quantum world, the quantum world. This is a place beyond what you can measure. So small, these units that he's working with there. These, it's a, it's a, this quantum world, this place of no, of no place and uh, no place and, and no, um, uh, nowhere, nowhere and no place really is what the quantum world is. But the Buddha could really see that and he was saying this is where this, is where this consciousness is coming from, this still consciousness. But you can, you, you know, he could see that this still consciousness was, was what was energising uh, the, uh, you know, the way that this world is made, the way that this world is made relative to that to that uh, present moment, constancy, the constant of the present moment. So you start to see that this consciousness, this still consciousness that's resounding, that's iterating, is in fact dukkha. And it's, it's positive and it's negative. It's, it's, and well, this is what the physicists tell us, isn't it? That in, right in the, you know, this world of the present moment is something that's seething, this is the way they describe it, seething with, with energy, seized with energy and, and it's uh, energy and from the Buddhist perspective we know that it's sort of energy that's beginning and ending, the second and the third noble truth, it's beginning and ending, the seething nature of, um, of consciousness. So you start to get to the point where you can start to see that um, if you can keep this consciousness there with you, you can really use it as a balance in the world because you, you can hold, and this is the second part of the, the second word that I sort of put into tonight's talk. First one is stillness, so I've just been uh, probably waxing lyrical about stillness now for uh, quite a time, but... The next word I'd put in there is equilibrium. So if we can start to hold this stillness in equilibrium with the world, with this universe that we're living with, just at least to have it there, to have it there all the time so that you can see just how important a part this still consciousness plays in the construction of the world in the aggregation of the world. These, again, this other, the Buddha, the, so many lists that he made that are just so fantastic. So the five aggregates, you know, if you, you, you look at that, you, you start off with rupa and then it, it uh, uh, devolves back to um, feeling. Again, feeling is always just such an important thing in Buddhism, feeling. And then it goes back to perception, if, the next one after that. And then it goes back to uh, consciousness or flowing consciousness and then we're back to consciousness the fifth aggregation is consciousness so the Buddha here is telling us that this is how the universe is aggregated it starts off with consciousness and then consciousness that's flowing and then perception and then feeling and then the rupa the body, the materiality the materiality of the universe 
But as you start looking at this too, you realise that you can't really live your life without this universe. This, if this universe is not here, your life wouldn't be here either because we are children of this universe. Physicists tell us that, uh, and we know that fairly well factually now, that all of the elements that are inside your body, inside my body, all of those elements have come from inside stars. Not only that, it's they've come from inside stars that have exploded in quite a violent way. This is how the the density and the uh, and the, the the way that the material is forced to come together to make to make the periodic table of elements. They're all basically any, anything anything larger than iron has been made inside a star. So we are really deeply connected into the universe, the same as we're deeply connected into this earth. We can't live without this earth. We can't live without the sun. We are part of this universe, part of the... It's part of the, our whole being, our whole process. So when we're looking out, when we're looking inside ourselves, we're, we're, we are really looking into the universe. It's the universe that's, that's right there inside all of us. And that's really why I, I talked before about uh, knowing that this is my world when I look out here for you and for you when you're looking back to know that you're working with your world. And it's up to you to make your world peaceful if you want to understand what the Buddha saw and understood. It's up to each of us to do that too. It's up for, for me, if I want to make my world, if I want to be like the Buddha, if I want to try and understand what the Buddha understood, I need to make my world peaceful. Doesn't mean that I just sort of sit here and allow myself to be a pushover or anything or to let warring people sort of walk right over you. You kind of, it's, it's different than that, but it's, but it is, as Ajahn Brahm's always talking about here, to be, to, to, to have those four divine abidings sort of flowing through you, the compassion, the loving kindness, the medito, the sympathetic joy, and the equanimity, to have that equanimity, which is something along the lines of what I'm pointing to here with this equilibrium, to be able to hold the stillness in equilibrium with this world. So that when you, you're going outside, or, or when I'm looking here, I'm looking around you, and I can see the consciousness around all of you. The consciousness, this, this still consciousness is there. In my, this is my mind that I'm looking into now here in this hall. And I can see this consciousness around all of you. And you, no doubt, if you um, condition yourself the same way as what I'm uh, talking about here, you would see the same back looking at me. This body is made of consciousness. It is consciousness. This is really all of the, uh, all of the things, all of the, the, the teachings that the Buddha gave. They're all sort of pointing to this end. So... You know, Ajahn Brahm sort of teaches the jhanas and certainly I think um, being able to uh, absorb into your meditation to the extent that you can go into a jhana state is quite wonderful actually. There's no doubt that that will, 
uh, will tell you a lot about stillness because when you do absorb into a jhana, the stillness is really the only thing that's left, the stillness. And, and maybe I'm being a bit glib too with the, st with the stillness because and it just uh, to let you know, I mean, I did find out happily, I, uh, there was a monk that came here called Ajahn Sumato and he used to teach this um, sort of in, in the way that, roughly, in, not quite, but roughly in the way that I'm speaking now. Um, and uh, he, uh, um, he, was, he really showed me all the way, uh, oh, I don't know how long ago it was, I remember when we used to go uh, to a centre up in Bunning, in Bunning Road, I think it was a theosophical centre up there, where we, we did retreats, the place where we went, did retreats then. And uh, I remember sort of first really understanding this stillness because it was really quite difficult to get my head round, really, when I just didn't, you know, keep practising and practising. At that point, you know, I was sort of doing three or four hours a day of meditation, you know, back, back in my 20s. Um, and, but anyway, at this retreat, I kind of got it. And it, I got it actually while I was washing my hair. I was in the shower and I was kind of just being mindful of washing my hair. And then just the, the vision of these, this, um, the vibration of still consciousness just came into, into, my, into my being. I kind of felt it really for the first time. And of course I got really excited about that, you know, really. Um, and then, you know, I went on for a little while and I think, I think I probably had a fairly good idea for it for a little while, but then after four or five years, I think after that, one day I was sitting in my family room um, and I was telling myself that I was listening to the stillness, <laughs> but then I realised that I was actually listening to the frequency of the fridge. <laughs> so that stillness, uh, it, it, it's, you know, well, I'm, I'm telling you that because it's not so, it's, you know, you can, you, can, you can get carried away with it, which I did, you know, like it was a, um, it's, it's, it's something that, it's something you've got to really work at and, and, and get to a point where you know it beyond any doubt whatsoever. And then once you know the stillness, because the stillness has a certain resonance, you can kind of, you can see what that resonance is. But then the fourth Satipatthana, the fourth foundation where you're looking at the phenomena of, of the mind, of, of consciousness itself, is the way that it flows, or the way that it apparently flows, is probably a better way to say it, because uh, you know, when you're starting to see this apparent flow of consciousness, you're starting to move away from the present moment. You're starting to move away from, the, from that constant of the present moment, because you're starting to move into the past and future of relativity. You're kind of moving away from the present moment. But that flow, as, as you know, the, the sankharas are there right in the present moment. The sankharas have been built. The sankharas of the world are all there. The, our collective consciousness is basically uh, all there, all being made for us every, every mind moment. Every mind moment, it's all being iterated 
and, uh, and, and is all right there. But as you, um, as you start to practice this and, and then you have this stillness there, well, then you can really start to hold that in equilibrium with the, with the, uh, the world itself, with the, with the, uh, the universe. Because then you start to realise that this universe is really not something that's out there, it's actually in me. It's, it's here. As, as such as that is, because, you know, it is all empty. I was really struck, I went to see the film of Oppenheimer uh, not so long ago, and um, somebody asked him about quantum mechanics, you know, what, what is the, what's the quantum, what does this mean? And, you know, he was struggling to sort of, you know, he had a glass and he was struggling to, um, to explain it and he was just, well, it's all empty, he said, it's all empty. <laughs> you know, this was kind of one of the best explanations that Oppenheimer could give to, a, to someone that was asking, you know, wasn't necessarily writing down equations to understand it all, but this is really the, where the power of the, that atomic bomb that he made came out of the emptiness the emptiness of quantum mechanics. So that's, that emptiness, that stillness, is just such a powerful place. It's, it's where the energy is, the energy, the positive and negative energy that's, that's coming into existence and then going out of existence, countless times in the wink of an eye, coming into existence and then annihilating, because it's, it's not just conscious that when you, when you talk about energy like this, energy is really, you can see energy as as being either energy itself, or you can see it as being matter and antimatter, positive and negative energy. So positive energy, as you can say, is matter, you know, that's the equivalent of that is matter, and the equivalent of negative energy is antimatter. And we know that all those things, I mean, physicists routinely make all this stuff now, so it's not, uh, it's not something that we don't know anything about. It's not just speculation, it's actually, it's, it's the reason why we've got digital TVs and digital watches and that sort of thing because of that quantum mechanics really works. The emptiness of quantum mechanics, the emptiness of the present moment. You know, this is, uh, this is really quite, uh, it's, it's, it's just there. So anyway, we're holding this in equilibrium and when the point that I want to get to, um, starting to run a little short on time, uh, is that this positive and negative energy that's there, we can work with that. Just in the way that I've been talking about understanding ways of, of just seeing your life and understanding different things in your life, especially sleeping, going to sleep. Like if you have trouble with jhanas, you can't, you know, a jhana is certainly a wonderful thing to... Uh, to be able to show you uh, just the, the truth of this stillness. Because when the mind, when the body and the world disappears in the jhana, the only thing that's left in the material jhanas, the only thing that's left is the mind. Just this, this still resonance of mind. And um, so it's really useful to sort of, uh, you know, really useful to know that from... But you can actually also, I've sort of noticed that you can start to see that in your sleep. You know, if you, start, you go to sleep with your mind that's still, just 
go to sleep with stillness because there's a little phase, you know, it's an interesting thing going to sleep because you just awake and then you're asleep. It's just sort of, it's just like a switch, just switches on and off. But then if you, um, if you stay mindful uh, or go into sleep mindfully, then the chances are that you'll wake up mindfully. And usually you'll find that you can wake up just, you can really wake up just a, a, just a few moments before you actually really do come out of your sleep. If, you're, if, if that mindfulness is there, you can start to practice it that way. So that little, that sleep is, once it sort of finishes and you're starting to come, become awake again, you can start to see that stillness that's there. And you can start to see that it is still, still stillness. Because I haven't explained yet, but I just probably need to tell you that the uh, still consciousness itself has one, has one, um, uh, uh, it has, it, it's able to be recognised anyway. And when, when, when consciousness is flowing, when, there's a, when it's moving, it has a different, a different, um, vibration and different I mean just basically I talk I see it as really a hum and a hiss the stillness is really like humming and the uh, the moving consciousness is hissing um, you can take that and work with that if you like I mean I know that a lot of people see this differently than than I do um, but if you take that and work with that and just, again, be aware, don't, just be careful of fridges. <laughs> uh, and, and, but you'll gradually get to know, you'll gradually get to know that these, these primordial vibrations are inside us all of the time. They're everywhere. We can start to really appreciate that. So then what happens is that we've got this positive and negative energy that's building the stillness and energising the stillness, energ energising the movement too, the movement of consciousness and energising this universal world. But if you hold that in equilibrium, eventually you'll get to a point, and now this is, you might do it in your life, which, which is really good if you, if you, um, you know, can possibly become arahant or, you know, become enlightened. You'll, this is exactly sort of what you... We'll, um, we'll start to, to, to notice that as you're holding this in equilibrium, you can, take, you can hold the equilibrium of the stillness uh, a little bit lower than what... You know, when, when the world disappears, when that disappears and you've just got the stillness, you can take the stillness down just a bit, a bit below what uh, still consciousness requires and it will unify. And when it unifies, the consciousness just ceases, finishes. When for the Buddha, from, for the Buddha, what happened with him? It just extinguished. It extinguished uh, when he um, when he became enlightened. But this now, I'm not. I'm not certainly not saying that I'm enlightened here because I haven't. You know, this is this is this is the way that I'm kind of. Um, uh, you know, practicing at the moment with my my sleep, but but also uh, I've just been um, looking a little bit at uh, at the Mahayana tradition too, and it's just been interesting the last year or so. I've been sort of attending a few lessons there and just learning a little bit about 
the way the Dalai Lama practices and things like that. And, and you know, I can sort of see that um, that uh, certainly, you know, probably maybe they emphasise it a little bit more than the Theravadan side of it does. But when you come to your death, it's just so important to be there, so important to be aware when you're dying and to know when you're dying. Because even if you go unconscious, because there's, there's, as I was talking about, there's three guises of consciousness, really. There's unconscious, subconscious, and just normal wakefulness, normal consciousness, or you might say mundane consciousness. And those three states are really operating all of the time. You know, they really operate in the daytime too. There's, you know, you've always, we're always slipping into subconscious and, and oftentimes too we have moments of reverie where we kind of just lose ourselves in enchantment or, uh, or whatever else it is. But to become aware of all that and, be, and certainly become aware of when we're sleeping so that you can start to see the, this stillness that's there all of the time. Because it's apparent when you die that you're, you're likely to sort of move through these guises of consciousness anyway. The mind will make, the mind will make a mind make. You, you won't have a corporal body anymore because that's died. But your mind is still working. The, the consciousness of mind is still there. So, and the mind is very capable. You know, you, you've, you, know you can check this with Ajahn Brahm too, that the mind can easily make a, a mind, can easily make a body. In fact, uh, there's a story in the suttas where the Buddha, there was a monk that he knew that had died and he died into a deva realm, but he was, didn't have a body at all. This, but the Buddha recognised him and he was, this deva had come to talk to the Buddha, but he kept on sort of slipping down and slipping up, you know, and he couldn't stabilise himself in front of the Buddha. And the Buddha advised him, he said, uh, just make yourself a temporary body. You know, so... Well, all of these very weird and wonderful things, you know, that, that are there in consciousness. Consciousness is just a, a bizarre thing, really. There's so many, um, so many things and stories that I could tell you just from what I've learned over the last little bit, just about, um, uh, you know, what consciousness can do. But just being aware, though, that, the, you know, even in your death, when, you're, when you've died and you go unconscious... And you and you come you come back into uh, uh, you, you come back to sort of looking at your mind and there's a kind of a whole lot of imagery going on, which which will more than likely be the imagery that's going to be taking you to the next life. Whether this is um, you know because when there's all sorts of things I won't even sort of go into that. It's because of the Mahayana tradition is bizarre. Really, it's just so uh, there's just so much. That they've got in it, but um, you've got to be very aware of the stillness, and it's in this this stillness where I'm talking about this balance of the you know keeping the equilibrium there, because even when you're dreaming or when you're asleep and you're seeing imagery, if you can practice to see the stillness, to see the pure light, to see the nimittas, to to know what the nimittas are, the the Dalai Lama talks about them as being like fireflies. So, but knowing, just having the experience to know that this is pure consciousness that you're looking at, the pure light of consciousness, not just a, a, 
you know, any, any old image, but it's got this, uh, this pure, pure light. But stillness is just, you know, that's perfect because you can practice to see stillness around everything. And if you've got the stillness around there, you're never going to be fooled. You won't be fooled. And eventually, when the, when the mind is in a situation like that, if it was a mind-made mind, it's much more powerful than when you're sort of caught up into a body like this. So there's every chance that you can become enlightened. Every chance you can uh, just know when, when this imagery is saying, oh, you know, come over here, you know, come and look at this little enticing enchantment that I've got going for you here, you know, you'll, you'll love this. Or, you know, it might be another way where it might be something averse or, you know, quite terrible that you're going towards. But if you can see this, once you know the stillness and you've got that round and you can hold that stillness in place, you're, you're, you're going to go beyond, you're going to go below that consciousness of stillness and it will unify. That consciousness will unify and disappear. So it'll go to cessation. I mean, many people have probably seen that anyway, the cessation of consciousness. In, the, in their meditation. <coughs> so, it's coming up to nine o'clock now, so I'll maybe leave my uh, remarks and comments there as sort of wide-ranging and as uh, probably bizarre this talk has been in a way. I don't think I've ever given a talk like this before. <laughs> but if there are any uh, questions, I'd be happy to, uh, to try and answer them for you if, if I can. Please uh, raise your hand. Or yes, Bill's got a microphone up there too. Good on you, Drew. <laughs> Drew's my old faithful. Thanks for the talk, Dennis. Um, there's talks within talks in that talk. Uh, so <laughs> I'm not going to bother asking any heavy philosophical stuff because it could just go all night. Yes. I was, I was wondering if you were just the ordinary layman, woman, waking up on Saturday morning and um, having listened to your talk, you decide I might do a meditation. <laughs> Is, um, do, do you have any, uh, like, a, like a simple exercise daily or weekly um, that you could add on to the end of your, or the start of your meditation to help with stillness? I know that you've been quite thorough tonight in some of the heavier stuff, but is, is there something you could, you could add in, something simple, yeah, yeah. short, that just helps a little bit besides all, all the heavier stuff which we aspire to? Thanks. I, yeah, I, I think that that's fairly readily easily to, easy to do, and, and that's just really, just before you start, just, it's, ama it's amazing how, how um, guileless our consciousness is, you know, it's not, it's not really sophisticated at all, really. And if you just sort of say to yourself, take me to the stillness, you know, and you might want to just think of it once or say it once, say it out loud. Don't say it any more than two or three times, but just, just give yourself that, that reminder to go into your mind and it will take you there. 
Yeah, prior, prior to, to starting prior the, to the, the, the breath work. Yeah, the, prior to you starting the meditation. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fairly simple... We do that anyway, really, don't we, with many of the, in, with many of the um, practices that we do with meditation, just to... Just even the... Uh, just reminding yourself to, to stay present and to, to stay with the... Um, with the meditation, don't drift off. Don't don't go to London. Don't you know? Don't go on holidays while you're meditating. Uh, you know, come and stay back with the stillness. Uh, but just yeah, just to make that little that affirmation. It's amazing how how solid that is actually. How how well it works because the mind just takes it on like a it's like a little child actually. So you're just sort of saying yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll go to the stillness. But once you've got that stillness there, and you've got, and it's there all of the time, it's really quite a um, it's quite a wonderful thing to have because you first of all you always you always know that you're present, and the other thing is that the more that you get involved in it, you realise that it's you know like even the talk tonight, you know, as Ajahn Brahm often sort of talks about there too, you know, I'm not really. I mean, I, I look back now and look at the talk that I've just given. I'm a bit quite surprised. You know, it is sort of like bizarre. But when I'm so, sort of speaking like this, I'm not really even. You know, Dennis is not really there. <laughs> it's it's just a talk that's coming out. Any more questions? Okay, Eddie. Dennis. Hello, Dennis. Hello, Eddie. How are you? <laughs> Dennis, I came late, but what I heard was it was a very good talk, okay? You covered many of the categories of the Buddha's teaching. What I want to ask you is, you know, can you see a correlation between these two things? Not, okay? First one is the 12 links, the law of dependent ordination, yeah. and the four noble truths, you know? You, know, you see, the 12 links is, okay, the first two is previous life, the last two is next life. Between the third and the tenth one, you know, it starts with ignorance, yeah. and it enters through the six sense doors, you know, and then the, you know, like the, 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 and the, the third one, tenth one is becoming, okay, mm. and then it can be reversed, you know, can be reversed, means it can be healed, you know, we can end the sufferings in it. So is also the, the four noble truths, you know. You know the four noble truths? The same thing too, you know. No, no. Like a suffering, cause of suffering, there's a way out of suffering, and the eightfold path, you know. Mm. Can you see the correlation between these two? Oh, I, I if, if we were to combine together, then it would be more powerful to help us in our, mm. our healing, to, 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 to lessen or end our sufferings, isn't it? You can see the correlation? Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah. Well, I... I can, Eddie, and uh, I, I think you can, that's why I ask you. I think what you're saying is quite, quite right. But you'll find that all of the Buddhas, all of the lists that the Buddha gave, they all kind of, they all enfold into one another. They kind of all dovetail together in the end. It's really quite remarkable, actually, the way that it that does work like that. Yeah, even just looking at mindfulness and then the seven factors of enlightenment, all the. Uh, If there are no more questions, something. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you so much for your talk. It was really interesting. Um, I was thinking about you were talking about um, when you wake up that you like direct in your consciousness in the morning. Mm -hmm. And since I started, or since I do meditation, I realized that sometimes I wake up in the morning and my thoughts can just catch up to a topic, maybe about work mm -hmm. or anything, and it gets into this loop. And I'm aware now. Uh, do you have any advice, like, how to keep that calmness in the morning when you wake up? Well, well again, it's, I think it's very similar to the answer that I gave to Drew. You know, before you go to sleep, I mean, it's quite ama an amazing thing, sleep. You know, like, even, um, I mean, I, when I, I used to sort of um, practice to wake up at a specific time, you know, say, maybe four, especially when you're on retreat or something like that where you want to wake up, say, before the bell. You know, the bell on retreat, I don't know what they do today, but it used to be four o'clock they would go. And the, um, I would kind of, before I went to sleep, I would just make that affirmation in my mind, I want to wake up at four o'clock. But then I would, maybe if I wanted to wake up a little bit earlier than that, maybe four, say four minutes to four, you know, and then I would sort of one, two, three, four, just do something like that that, that you know, made me aware, of, it just made me conscious of what I'm, what I'm wanting to do. But it's important too not to sort of nag yourself too much with that either. Just just ask yourself once or twice and then just let it be. And you'll find that, you know, well, I, certainly I used to wake up at those times, you know, it was really quite interesting to see how that works. But the same, if you want to sort of not get, in, get out of the habit of the loop of thinking about work when you first wake up and maybe come to stillness, well, it's just really a matter of making that affirmation before you go to sleep, just to, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I want, I want to be with stillness. Just, just tell your mind that, and it's very, uh, it's very obedient, your mind, usually. Well, thank you very much, anyway, for your, uh, your attention and uh, patience. Actually, something I forgot at the beginning, we, we normally do it at the beginning and the end as well, and uh, to welcome uh, with three sadhus, but I think we can combine both together and give three for the wonderful talk that uh, uh, Dennis gave this evening, and uh, uh, as uh, Drew mentioned, that you delve into uh, you know, a very significant uh, in-depth uh, Buddhist teaching, and in practical terms, in practical terms, so it has been very illuminating. And uh, so, can we sh all together give three huge sadhus in the Ajahn Brahm tradition to <laughs> thank you, uh, Dennis, for his uh, effort and the teaching? Let's say three sadhus together. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. 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 <laughs>